This podcast is brought to you by Upcase. Improve your development skills by completing coding exercises that are peer-reviewed by real humans. Learn more at upcase.com. Giant robots smashing into other giant robots. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Giant Robots Smashing into Other Giant Robots podcast. My name is Ben Orenstein, and I'm here today with Mike Britton, VP of Engineering at Etsy. Hey, Mike. Hi, Ben. How are you doing? I'm good. So the first thing that, that jumped out at me was as I was picking through your blog was uh, how awesome these code dojos sound. Yeah. Can you talk about those a little bit? I can talk a little bit about them. I, uh, to be honest, I haven't been involved directly with them, but I know a number of teams have been helping orchestrate them. Mm-hmm. And the thing I want to definitely point out is that they're you know, one of many facets involved at Etsy around having this sort of like learning-oriented culture mm-hmm. um, where you don't just join the team and you are sort of set off on your, on your own in a silo, but you've got a team of people who you're working with and, and learning from. Mm-hmm. One of the aspects in, in recruiting that I often look for is characteristics about individuals uh, that demonstrate that they're either super active in terms of learning, that they're, they're reaching out to find you know, new resources to learn from, or they're super active in, in mentoring. Mm. And when you pair those types of people together uh, in an environment, you get a lot of benefit from people you know, teaching and learning from each other. And dojos, I think, are one of those manifestations of that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that is such a, a powerful impulse. Like you have to, I feel like you, you need people that want to learn and are willing to make use of the, the, the ways they can learn. Yeah, exactly. And, and, and when we've met individuals in the past, I think, I think a failure mode in our, in our environment can be somebody who is stubborn about uh, not asking for help yeah. and not relying on the many people who are talented around you and, and recognizing that we all have our, our strong points and, and all of us have areas where we can be improved. Uh, you can look at some of the strongest engineers on the team and find that they don't know a lot about certain areas of, of technology, even though you see that they're very prolific in others. Mm-hmm. Totally. So your day-to-day, uh, what does that roughly look like? My day-to-day, and, and, I'll, and I'll preface this with the fact that I've been at Etsy for just over five years at this point, and, mm-hmm. and I joined the team as an engineer and, and came to the team because I wanted to work on, on hard technical problems. Uh, over time, I found myself, as I have in, in past parts of my career, in more and more of a leadership and management uh, role. Mm-hmm. And so as of the last six months, I've been in the role as VP of engineer. And so my role has been more about helping focus on the environment at Etsy, the, the sort of culture of the engineering team, mm. and be a complement to the other, the other folks in leadership who are more um, focused on the technical architecture and, and driving those aspects. Mm-hmm. So what that looks like in... In practice, uh, the way I described my role to the team when I started it about six months ago was that I was focused on basically four different areas. One was that I was coming out of a role where I was the engineering director for our mobile group, which was primarily focused on iOS and Android development at the time. So I still had about a quarter of my time where I was managing that team. You may be aware we've started to build out our San Francisco office. We've had a space out there for a long time but didn't have... Um, specific plans on how to grow the team out there. And mm-hmm. so in the last year, we spent a lot more time recruiting around getting leadership in place and, and planning around what kind of aspects around engineering we wanted to put in San Francisco. Mm-hmm. And as anybody who's had experience with distributed offices would know, and, and, and frankly, this is a new area for us, mm-hmm. is that I think one of the areas for success is, is where you can take some part of your team and have it be able to operate it autonomously without too, too much overlap. And the folks who work in that team in that office right now are largely remote 
but working on teams that are centered in Brooklyn. So, so one of the challenges for us um, culturally really was, was looking for work at Etsy that could be um, detached from, from the Brooklyn office mm-hmm. and be centered in San Francisco mm-hmm. uh, three, three time zones away. And the challenge was fi- figuring out the work that was obviously going to be related to some teams who were in Brooklyn, some teams who wanted to do that work, um, but find the right, the right breakdown of responsibilities where some of it could be uh, in San Francisco, some of it could be in Brooklyn. Hmm. I, I, I'm, as you're saying that, I'm, I'm reminded of this. Th- there's some aphorism about how a systems architecture will often come to resemble the like hierarchy of its team, and I'm yeah. wondering if like the geography and will impact the way Etsy is built. I suspect we're probably going to see some learnings like that. Yeah, yeah. And then there's there's two other areas that I, that I want to touch on as well mm-hmm. um, before we move on to that. Another another is a, a Paris office that we have now. Um, last year we acquired a company in in France called A Little Market, and uh, that team is the engineering team there is only about 14 people, so it's a good bit smaller than Etsy's, but it's the largest acquisition we've made to date. Mm. Um, the first we've done in Europe, and uh, I certainly wanted to make sure that that group felt like it was an integrate, integrated part of Etsy mm-hmm. and, and not some siloed team. So between San Francisco and Paris, we're, we're already looking for ways of making these uh, distributed teams work. Mm-hmm. And then the last, the last sort of quarter of time is focused on culture and experience sort of, sort of issues. And at Etsy, we have a lot of people. It's, it's really great to see how many people are motivated to work on on projects that improve the working environment at Etsy and the culture at Etsy. Mm-hmm. Um, but we all often find that they get stuck at a point where they need buy-in from management or buy-in for, for budget or, or something like that, and they don't necessarily know who to turn to. And so part of my job description is being the person that you know everybody is supposed to turn to for help with these things and help make sure that we're putting our focus in the right areas and not having like too many people copy each other's efforts. Mm-hmm. So broadly then that was sort of like recruiting. Yeah. Recruiting, diversity, things around like as you, as you alluded to earlier, dojos and sort of experiential sort of things. Yeah. So what are your, what are your habits that you employ to be good at these things? So I'm, I'm in a period right now. We've, it, here's, here's an example. Um, we've, we've had a lot of focus on at Etsy around gender diversity in engineering, and we're starting to look at racial diversity in engineering as well. Mm-hmm. And the interesting thing about those programs here is there's been a few that you would be familiar with, like we've done some very obvious support of Hacker School. We've, we've recruited a lot of people from Hacker School, and it's been a really um, exciting partnership with them. Mm-hmm. We've looked to a couple of other programs externally, we can have a similar sort of partnership. And then there's a, a broad number. So, sorry, so some of those things are work that's been done by a couple of leaders uh, individually. So you go out, you make a partnership, you figure out how that's going to work. Mm-hmm. And then there's a whole host of initiatives where individuals on the team have contributed to different organizations, especially around New York, by either hosting an event, providing a space for them at our office where they can come in and, and host their own external event here. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we can provide, you know, you know, foods and beverages and, and the space and things like that. Um, we've got a number of engineers on the team who have gone and, and taught courses externally at, you know, within some of these groups mm-hmm. and a number of other things internally we've done. We've had individuals who've given workshops on topics like being a male ally um, mm-hmm. and, and just uh, dealing with like, identifying and, and um, recognizing unconscious bias mm-hmm. or individual teams have worked on things like how to uh, anonymize 
resumes when their teams are looking at candidates um, to try to make it easier to focus on the skills and the career trajectory as opposed to the, you know, the name or the gender. Mm-hmm. Um, so all of these things have sort of happened, um, you know, by a lot of individuals and the steps I've been taking over the last couple of weeks are to try to surface those. So I've been asking for, for people to let me know who wants to be involved and who is already involved. Actually, the already involved part is the one that's been, been most interesting because I've had a huge outreach of people who say, I'm doing this. I'm teaching this course here. I want to do this workshop. I want to write this blog post. Like, here are all these ideas that we have. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's been hard to see, um, because they are so decentralized, how much effort we've been putting into it. So I'm taking that right now and turning it into a number of one-on-ones where I'm seeing specific individuals who have made a lot of progress or, or getting groups of people together who seem like they're already oriented towards a, a pattern. So if we've got a bunch of people who have been teaching in external groups and want to do that kind of support, rather than having them all sort of like based individually with all these different groups and possibly being a single point of failure for any one of those events, mm-hmm. if we have 10 to 20 people who are interested in teaching and, you know, if I wanted to teach something and I got sick, I might be able to rely on a bunch of other people to step in uh, and take over for me, which I think provides a much more um, successful outcome for these groups that we want to support. Mm-hmm. So in, in this area, at least, you're sort of just bringing together people that are already doing this thing and just sort of unifying them in a way. Yeah, I think that that's the right way of putting it. It's, I'd say right now I'm in a, in a period of discovery. Mm-hmm. We're going to organize. The next step is really organize some of those groups and, and figure out how we can make uh, many of those individuals a bit more successful or, mm-hmm. the, or the, the work that they're putting in a little bit more successful and sustainable. Mm-hmm. And then I think the next step from there is like provide visibility back to the company of, hey, here's, you know, you may not have known this, but here are all these things that we've been doing mm-hmm. um, and that have been largely hidden efforts. And, and there's actually, you know, a lot of it going on. Mm-hmm. I, I think it's always kind of funny to me that some of these events that we host, like we've, we've hosted some events with Girl Develop It here and mm-hmm. uh, some courses. And it will be the kind of thing that I won't know that it's happening until I'm walking out the front door and we have a placard up in the entryway to our office that says, Go to the seventh floor for the for the girl development event that we are hosting. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I'm hoping to try to get in a little bit earlier yeah. in the stream there, yeah. and I think that I'm probably not the only one who's like last to know about these things as well. Mm-hmm. Okay. So how about on the recruiting side? Sure. On the recruiting side, this is an area I think that I'm probably going to spend a good portion of my time this year. Last year, uh, I did when I was working more closely with just our mobile group. You know, hiring in mobile is, is, is an effort. It's a real challenge to find really strong native engineers who also have uh, awareness of, of web technologies, which we're coming from, and have, have some overlap between those. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, so we, we were a lot more thoughtful in our mobile group around, around hiring and dealing with our pipeline uh, for candidates, how, how we were measuring you know, within the team success of, of individuals moving through various points of the interview process. And, and many of those things I'm looking to bring out to the rest of the engineering team. Some of those aspects are certainly, I think you're alluding to, um, diversity-focused. And um, so we're going to be looking at, at more aspects around making sure that we're taking some of the learnings that other teams have had around anonymizing resumes or anonymizing homework. We, you know, like many, many other companies are doing, we're doing external projects or allowing candidates to do some kind of external tech work Mm. um, to submit to us as, as part of their application process, as opposed to having them stand at a whiteboard in an environment where many people I think are, are pretty uncomfortable and writing stuff up on the fly. Mm Mm-hmm. 
And so when those homeworks come in, it's equally important as it is with resumes to make sure that, um, that we eliminate bias uh, in the evaluation of those homeworks. Mm-hmm. Totally. So can we walk through like just a, a standard day for you? Sure. Yeah. So what time? Are, are you an early riser? Uh, a bit, yeah. I've gotten that way over time because it turns out that my kids are early risers. Uh-huh. <laughs> and that is, I've heard that response that, a lot, actually. That, that has changed my life significantly. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, the morning, the morning has become much more routine for me in the, in the last two years, I think. And, and uh, I'm, I'm going to use the word routine in a good way. Um, I think there's been a lot of positive aspects of this, of this sort of like routine sort of startup ramp up period in the morning. And I have a bit of a train commute, which, which has been useful time um, that I can actually sit down and get work done, whereas in the office can be very distracting. Yeah. <laughs> so it's, it's kind of like my traveling office for some period of the day. But mm-hmm. my morning starts off, I have a, a stretching routine that I like to do in the dark, which I found is, is a bit like, I don't want to say it's, it's a meditation period because I haven't gone through like really formal meditation, but, but it does get me, give me a, a good like almost 30 minutes of time hmm where I'm slowly sort of getting, getting sort of physically ready for the day mm-hmm. and also mentally ready for the day. That sounds great. Um, and then I see my kids for a little bit in the morning bef- and, and have breakfast before I get on the train. Uh, by the time I get into the office, um, fortunately my, my commute gets me in around 9 a.m. or just a few minutes before. And our, our office at, at Etsy starts to really get active around 10 and 10.30. Mm-hmm. So there's usually about an hour in the morning before everybody has... Um, has started wandering in where you get, you know, as a lot of research will show like your best, your best time happens in the morning and, and that happens to be a really good quiet time. Mm-hmm. Um, my challenge is making sure that I don't get like focused on the really high thrash things like email in the morning, but, but focus on the things that need a little bit more time and attention. Right. So I try to do that. So like and what then, kind of things are those? So thinking of like working through these, um, these diversity projects and, and aspects of like rolling out changes to our recruiting process or any other kind of program sort of work, Mm -hmm. um, time to sort of document what we're trying to achieve, putting together the communication, making the plan of who to talk to and who to have, you know, who else is going to help lead these efforts. Mm -hmm. Um, and then be prepared to have the, have the meetings and conversations with people, uh, to start rolling those out. Mm Mm-hmm. And those take, you know, obviously time and efforts. My analogy is that I used to have, you know, three or four hour work periods where I'd like to sit down and write software and, and you need that time away from the, the back and forth distractions. And, and I found the same thing, you know, despite not working on software as much anymore, um, you still need that time of focus where you don't have people coming to you with, you know, every different kind of question um, mm-hmm. that will come up during the day. So yeah, I get I get a good bit of time in the morning to focus on those things. I usually try to block out periods of time on my calendar so I don't get overscheduled with meetings mm-hmm. in the morning periods. And then throughout the rest of the day is 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 often in 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 my cases meeting with various people from various teams. Everything from architecture reviews and postmortems to uh, one-on-ones with our engineers or managers who report to me. And I I manage. Uh, I'm sorry, I keep. Um, six slots in my in my week uh hour and a half of time on mondays and and wednesdays is office hours um and anybody on the team can book 30 minutes for anything they want to talk to me about and that's you know i i I think of my role as vp of engineering as as being somebody that everybody should have access to Mm -hmm. um we believe a lot in uh in having uh individuals 
bringing solutions and identifying problems and, and not thinking that all of management can, can handle that and just push it down to the edges. But we, we want to have those types of things bubble up. So I'm always, I'm always sort of keeping that time available for, for listening time. Mm. Yeah. It's, it seemed like this was probably a, a somewhat natural transition for you into a role like this, or was it, was it kind of a struggle? I would say it was a, it's, it's a struggle and okay. it's, it's been a, I would be candid in saying it's been five years of struggle and I, and I don't feel like I'm super successful in it. Hmm. I, I suspect other people would tell me otherwise, but I also, uh, like many in software, suffer from imposter syndrome. So mm-hmm. I'm constantly questioning whether I'm doing my job properly. And, and, I, and I, think that is, I think that has been helpful because I've been thoughtful about evaluating what could I be doing to improve. And mm-hmm. so even in the, last, in the last three or four months, I've been thinking more about you know, how to build more structure, especially into that morning time that I described. Um, a lot of that had, been, had become very deliberate, setting aside that time not waking up and immediately checking my email and, and, and getting frustrated by or, or sort of thrashed in the early morning before I get into work, um, but trying to just let my mind be a little bit more clear and think about the, the wider challenges and things that I need to get done on the day, mm. writing, up a, writing up a plan for the day of what I want to achieve before you know, hitting the chaos <laughs> that ensues. We have an open, you know, an open floor plan at, at Etsy, mm. so it's it's very easy to find people who are, are managers and leaders in the company. Um, the downside is it's, it's hard to find that time for focus where you're not, where you know, you're not going to be distracted and, and you have to be proactive about carving that time out and, and finding, um, the places to hide in the office. And, and I think that I count myself among the, the small number of people I think who, who know all of the really good secret hiding spaces in our office. <laughs> huh. do, you, do you think the, the open floor plan is a net win? Yeah, that's, a, that's an interesting question. Um, and I know that I've read a lot of research and opinion both ways. Personally, I prefer it. And it's hard for me to say whether it's a net win because it's not like we're, it's not like we're testing half of our team in, sure. in a closed office and half of it in an open office. Um, but the things I like about it in particular are my personality is is such that I've thought in the past that it would be great to just have an office I could come into, walk into an office like a closed space of my own, shut the door, do a bunch of really good work, and then at you know five or six o'clock at night, open the door and go home. And <laughs> that doesn't sound like a very um, a very communal uh, environment. It doesn't sound like one where I'd be be working with a lot of people or even open to to people walking up to me during the day or, or you know knocking on my door. Mm-hmm. Um, I've really appreciated having the openness um, because I think that especially thinking about the the relationship of individual engineers on the team who want to talk to their managers, you know, there's so many aspects that can create barriers, like sort of mental hurdles, you know, that you have to get over to approach your manager. Mm. Uh, I think this is one of the really positive things about having regularly scheduled one-on-ones with individuals on your team is that no matter what, you always carve this time out. And mm-hmm. even if the individual doesn't want to sit down for half an hour or an hour, uh, you've got that time on, on your calendar and you're going to sit down and you're going to have a conversation. And those, in those circumstances, hopefully their issues and their, and their goals, things that they're struggling with either at work or, or outside of work, those things will become a bit more obvious and discussed 
by the two of you so that they don't end up hampering somebody's performance or that they can be, or, or that as a manager, you can assertively help somebody out when you, when you detect these kinds of things. Mm-hmm. If you have a closed environment and you don't have those types of meetings, you know, I remember, I remember having a manager in the past where he sat in his office all day. We didn't have a meeting that was scheduled and I never felt comfortable interrupting him because it seemed just physically and like all the signs sort of pointed to I've got things going on mm-hmm. um, and it wasn't really clear that, I, that it was okay to have a conversation mm-hmm. and so that open office environment breaks that down and yeah. so for me as a manager I think that's that's particularly important um, we're you know going through designing our new office that we're moving into next year we've we've rented a, a brand new space that's just up the hill from us in in Brooklyn and it's it's a fantastic totally open space right now and we've been working with an architecture team and our facilities team to plan out how do we want to use that space and Mm -hmm. one of the interesting cultural things that came up was they had planned in a bunch of offices for you know executive level folks and senior managers and we all sort of looked at it and squinted our eyes like i I don't know that i want to be sitting in an office i want to be close to the team where i can hear what's going on Mm -hmm. You know, there's a there's an aspect of especially especially as we grow, as the team grows, you know, the managers of individual teams become further and further removed over time, and and as as mm. your team grows, you become further and further removed from how the work actually gets done, and yet you're supposed to somehow know how we're going to work operate in the future, and so that sort of sitting co-located with a team, I think, gives you a lot of benefit of overhearing what's going on. Um, being able to participate in co- ad hoc conversations when they need to come up and being there so you can be an advocate for your team as opposed mm-hmm. to being removed and not not actually knowing what's going on. Yeah. And then, you know, you talk about the things like individuals pairing on the team and learning from each other. It's great when somebody can just slide their chair over and look over somebody else's shoulder. And the desks that we have in the office space. We, we move from individual desks with, you know, four standing legs to these, these longer tables that where the legs are actually recessed. And, and you can, if you wanted, you could take a desk that, that normally fits three people on a side and put five people on a side. So there's a lot, a lot more around flexible space, uh, flexible seating. Mm-hmm. And which means that if, if you and I were sitting next to each other, or, or even if you weren't sitting next to, next to me, you could slide up and we could spend 15 minutes sort of pairing on a project quickly and then moving away from that. Mm-hmm. And distract everyone around us while we were doing it. Yeah, there's, there's, yes, there's that. Yeah, I mean, I think that people are are, are pretty cognizant of of that, and um, IRC certainly helps with that. Hmm. Um, so we use, I mean, IRC is used pretty religiously throughout the engineering team. And um, my father had visited the office about a year or two ago. Mind you, it was on a Friday, and Fridays there's a number of people who will work from home, so there weren't quite as many people in the office but I noticed this again last Thursday when when I had another friend who was visiting there are points throughout the day even when even when everybody is at their desk and working where it's almost silent mm-hmm. and it's amazing how open the space is but you just don't hear people talking and and they are talk they are communicating mm-hmm. they're just not doing it with their voices yeah so, so we have an open floor plan at Thoughtbot, and uh, I go back and forth. I think, I think there are definitely pros and cons. I'm like, I'm, I'm an extroverted person. Like, I like when people are around. Like, I like, I like talking yeah. to people. 
Um, yeah. but I think it also encourages like some, there's, there's some bad things. Like the, the focus is tough. Like sometimes you really, I, I feel like I need to go grab a conference room just like to do some certain things, certain tasks. Yeah. Like people, you know, doing a Skype call or like, Oh, it's only gonna be a minute. So I'll just like do this real quick thing over here. And it's like, I just, it just pulls me out of my, my space pretty regularly. So I don't know. I guess that the, the things that I, I could hear you saying, like noting the distraction aspect, that, that is absolutely a, a downside of it. Yeah. I think that we have been pretty good. And I guess this is something you sort of have to coax within your, within your culture. The one-off Skype calls are things that I don't, I don't really see happening in the open, mm-hmm. in the open area. We have a number of um, tiny rooms that are designated as phone, phone booths, which have two chairs in them. There's Wi-Fi in there. There's Ethernet cables. There's actual phones, where, which you won't see throughout the rest of the office. Mm-hmm. Um, but those are great spaces to be able to pull away and, and have those conversations. Yep. We haven't, you know, almost 20% of our engineering team is remote. So there's always a need, you know, to go above and beyond text chat and move into video chats or, or audio chats mm-hmm. um, or old school phone calls when, that, when those happen. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, so there, it's sort of a mix of culture, I think, and uh, where, where people have learned to be, we've found the right ways that folks are courteous about it and having the space where it's easy to move away from your desk. In our space, frankly, we've the the number of phone booths that we have is not probably the right proportion for the number of people who need to use them. And as we've gone into our planning out our new space, we were really deliberate about looking at how many conference rooms we have, how many of those are are really designated for meetings versus sort of breakout spaces. Mm-hmm. How many will be more for like those two person uh, one-on-one style chats or, or phone calls. Mm-hmm. And in, in the new space, we also have an interesting thing I found about the, the, the way that the floor plan is, is built out is that all of the workspaces where engineering teams and any other project teams are oriented are, are sort of around the circumference of the building. And the middle of the, of the space is designated for conference rooms and, and high traffic areas. Mm. Um, so there's, there will actually be fewer desks sort of all co-located next to each other. There's certainly teams that are co-located next to each other, but, but in smaller populations, Interesting. which should probably help with that. Um, yeah. That sounds nice. We're actually we're doing we're moving to something that's a little sort of similar to that. So we we got an extra floor. We were t- t- took over the floor below us, and so suddenly there's more space. And it looks like we're going to move at least like a portion of people into a new space. Um, so it's like we still have an open floor plan, but it's just now in two places, and yeah. you know it's each one will be a little less crowded, maybe a little less noisy. So I'm kind of hoping that will mitigate some of those problems. Do you have a Do you have an opportunity? I, I guess. I, I don't know whether you have this ahead of you or not, but um, if you're if you're adding on additional space, I imagine one one strategy for doing that is to plan out the space, a new space the way you'd like it, move everybody into it, and then reconfigure the old space for the for the way that you like it. You know, sort of iterating on your floor plan. That's interesting. It's kind of like building a new uh, bridge or, or roadway, right? Where you put both lanes of traffic on the same side of the interstate. Right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> no. The, 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 didn't do that, and the work is almost done. So I think we <laughs> the ship is still on that one. But sorry, no, it's okay. It's okay. But we we actually experienced something similar to, to something what you did around like more people want private spaces for calls and meetings and things like that than we had space for. Like there's a lot of contention for the private rooms, and so we built a bunch more of those, which I'm, I think is going to help a lot. 
before we really finished all of that architecture, one of the things I was, I was glad that I did was I grabbed a few people from our facilities team and made use of some of the contacts I have at other larger tech companies in New York. And we, you know, asked to basically go on tours of, mm. of other spaces. And I found this extremely helpful. And I, you know, I would definitely recommend it to anybody who's, who's ever involved in sort of planning out spaces. But we went to, to other companies in New York who have big engineering teams mm-hmm. and visited the spaces, sort of looked at the way that they've laid out their teams and, and talked to them about like the culture of, you know, how does the work get done? Mm-hmm. You know, Spotify, for example, has written a lot about um, the way their teams are structured. And you can see, you know, you talked about architecture sort of being a reflection of the organization. Your physical space can be a reflection of, of your culture or vice versa. Your, your culture could be a reflection of the space. Mm-hmm. And um, it was interesting after having read some of the stuff that, that was written about Spotify's culture and the way that they do, the way that their teams work, you could walk into the office and sort of look around and say like, yeah, I, I, I get this. Mm. But I, I, every, every one of those tours that we got, I asked, I asked the person who was responsible for the tour, you know, like, and, and these people were usually in, in charge of, um, either engineering or, or facilities, you know, what was, what's your sort of secret weapon in this office space? What's the one thing that you didn't know maybe when you went into it that, that after you've started using the space, you found like this particular meetings, uh, like conference room size is great or this particular piece of infrastructure is great. Yeah. We had a lot of learnings from that. Yeah. Any examples you can think of? Somebody said um, <laughs> one that was really interesting I, uh, was make sure you design for a lot of closets. Hmm. <laughs> and this was uh, this is at a place where I think the facilities group was particularly concerned with having having a sort of cluttered office and and found that there was a whole lot of stuff that they just wanted to get out of the hallways and, yeah. and throw into dark rooms. And I and I think that they were frustrated by the sort of uh, aesthetic of the office because it was. It can, you know, as you probably know, things can get jumbled. Um, mm-hmm. People have boxes that get left over, have personal effects that, that show up in the office, all sorts of stuff that sort of distracts from what the original layout looks like. Mm-hmm. I, I think it's funny when I look at the architectural renderings of what our what our new office looks like because there's these like clean open tables with just like individual laptops on them. It's like you haven't really noticed or, or <laughs> taken into account like the multiple monitors on people's desks and the plants right. and the, and the robots and things like that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> this, this isn't what it's going to look like. <laughs> right. Of course. <laughs> I think the other one that, that was interesting and, and this is from the perspective of um, how you get support for, you know, from corp IT groups and things like that around like desktop support or, what have you and there's uh, you may be aware that there's these these essentially vending machines that somebody's created that where you can stick like you know usb keyboards and mice and things like that the mm. kind of stuff that always is breaking on you and you can basically just walk up to these machines and like swipe your swipe your id badge and then push a number and it'll give you a new keyboard or mm-hmm. give you batteries or headphones or whatever you know these sort of obvious things that that um, are probably cause a, a significant amount of traffic for a corp IT team just to deal with like the procurement of mm-hmm. uh, they've just sort of made them readily available which That's is cool. really cool yeah I like that anything that cuts out bureaucracy I'm a huge fan of yeah <laughs> like simplify this and just assume that people are good-natured and we'll do the right thing 
What I found that was really interesting about those machines is that they have prices on the items, even though mm. as an individual you're not getting charged for them. There's this sort of like this mm. sort of notion that you should be aware of how much you're spending. Um, yeah. Because it, you know, obviously it's going to go back to somebody's budget. Right. Um, but it sort of just makes you aware, like, oh, if that keyboard's going to be another fifty dollars or something like that, is should I? Should I get that? Right. That's interesting. <laughs> That's a good uh, little just bit of keeps, psychology just right keeps there. keeps you aware that, it, that, that it's costing somebody something somewhere. Totally. <laughs> interesting. Yeah, like we have, uh, we have catered lunch on Fridays. I wonder if they should put out like a, a menu with prices. Just so you know, <laughs> that lunch is $10. <laughs> I'm not sure what that would do. I'd still eat as much. Uh, so someone out there, I imagine, uh, amongst our listenership is listening to your description of your day and the things that you do and thinking, that sounds awesome. I want to do that. How would you advise someone to get into your kind of role? Hmm. It's interesting. I, I, I wonder if, if the person you're talking about is, is already in a, in a management track or if they're an engineering track. <laughs> Assume engineering track. <laughs> right. So most of the folks in our engineering track, I, I generally um, advise not trying to go into my role. <laughs> oh, really? <laughs> well, you know, personal story is that I left two other companies to get out of, out of management. And the irony is shortly after landing at Etsy, I found myself back in a management, management huh. role. Somewhat to my dismay, but I think that the the big difference that I that I found uh, with my experience at Etsy was and that was different from the other roles was, um, and I you know I, I say this because I think it's important for people who are in engineering to know about what their managers do is that management is a is a completely different role from engineering. It's not it's not being the senior engineer on the team. It's not about making all the technical decisions and you know having all the calls. It's about organizing groups of people so that they can do those things better themselves. Mm-hmm. And in a way, um, I think I became a much better manager when I started to think about it from the standpoint of my role is about hiring people and empowering people who can do the job better than I can myself. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was, took a lot of modesty to realize that, <laughs> that that's what I was, that's what I was doing. I, I came to the team thinking, you know, I want to learn a lot and I want to be like a really, a really senior level engineer and be, you know, highly competent technically. Mm-hmm. And then realizing, you know, what I really need to do is build a team that can do this work far better than I ever could. Yeah. So I'm, I start somewhat skeptical anytime somebody says that they want to be a manager hmm. uh, at Etsy. And it, and it turns into a conversation around, well, what do, you, what do you see in your managers? What are the things you see them doing that you think you know, that, that is inspiring to you or that, that you feel like you really want to be involved in? Mm-hmm. And you know, that sort of kicks off a long conversation around what the role actually looks like, if their philosophy and motivations actually align with what the role truly is and in in many cases it turns out it is Hmm. (laughs) but i'm 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 skeptical often um because i've seen just as just as many other other circumstances where people have moved into management thinking that it's that that you can get away with not focusing on the recruiting and the working on performance development and working on the things that are non-technical and Mm -hmm. uh, you know an easy way of of asking somebody whether they're ready for it and is like you know, if you came into work every day and, and you no longer touched Emacs or, or Vim or, or source code at all, mm-hmm. um, would you still be excited about your job? And granted, that doesn't change overnight, but it's been a while since I've hacked on any code at Etsy and certainly anything that's been production facing. Mm-hmm. Um, and there was a point where I realized my role has really changed when I realized I didn't feel comfortable launching something on the site because I was going to spend, you know, the next three hours 
you know, in the day in meetings and unavailable to respond to, to issues that might come up. Yeah. And um, that's a big turning point for people as, as managers here. And it usually happens a little bit more senior. But when you start down that track, uh, it's important to know what you're, what you're eventually signing up for. And mm-hmm. we've, we've tried to make it really easy for people to try the role out. So whether you act a little bit more as a lead within the team um, before that role becomes formalized or whether your manager maybe has you involved a bit more on the, on the recruiting aspects before that role is formalized. Mm-hmm. Or once you're, once you're into it, um, having that healthy conversation on a regular basis of is, is this really what you're looking for? And we've had a number of people who've been really successful in, in making the transition back out of management, back to an engineering role. And it's important, I think, for teams to, to make that safe, like make that decision safe, because we see it as a, you know, when you go from engineering to management, we see that as a lateral transition across roles and not a promotion, mm-hmm. which means that if you move back for, to engineering from management, that's also not a demotion. But, you know, it comes with a comes with a lot of baggage that a lot of people sort of have around whether management is a promotion or not. Mm-hmm. Sure. Whether that feels safe. Sure. Uh, just to wrap up, any favorite books uh, that you want to share with people? Oh, favorite books? Um, I think Managing Humans is one of, the, one of the things I would turn to pretty easily. It's, it's a book that I give to any manager at Etsy, and I think a number of us have ascribed to uh, Michael's. This is Michael Lopp's book. Mm-hmm. A number of us have ascribed to his sort of style of thinking. We feel that that's like the right, you know, his thinking aligns a lot with what we're thinking and vice versa. And mm-hmm. I love it for for new managers because it also doesn't feel like a like a Harvard book or something where where it doesn't feel grounded so much in engineering as a practice mm-hmm. and the stories and anecdotes are you know obviously if you, well not obviously if you're not familiar with the book it, a lot of it is comes from uh, blog posts that he has he's published previously so individual chapters or entries feel very digestible and you can sort of make your way through it and it's not necessarily a start at page one and make your way sequentially through the book you can sort of skip around mm-hmm. um but he has a great way of writing and i think it's it, you can very quickly start to see some of the types of personas that he describes within your own groups and and it helps you recognize oh i'm i'm actually seeing something i'm seeing this strange behavior or a behavior in in somebody on my team that i didn't expect and and there's actually something interesting going on inside of them it's not that they're just like odd um, personality it's that maybe there's something deeper going on Mm -hmm. maybe they've been rubbing up against um somebody you know over time saying no 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 don't do this or maybe they've got something going on in their own life uh outside of work and it sort of really helps you understand the different sort of individual cases you see across the team and that everybody everybody on that team needs to be managed somewhat differently that takes into account their own personalities and and their own motivation factors the things that they like to be rewarded by the things that are going on in their own in their own lives and it's you know managing engineers is not a one-size-fits-all kind of job and i think that he really calls that out really well Hmm. great awesome well i think that's a, a great place to wrap it up cool well thank you for having me yeah absolutely it was a pleasure Uh, So today's show was produced and edited by Tom Obarski. If you'd like to access the show notes for this episode, you can go to giantrobots.fm slash 139. Thanks for listening.